you're listening to Why Try, the podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Peel, and each week I sit down with entrepreneurs, artists, and others who have found that betting on themselves has made all the difference. My guest this episode is Suzanne Jockis, professional psychic and author of her memoir, You Know Your Way Home. She and her book have a really interesting perspective because for her, it's not just about demonstrating her gift, but about using that gift to work really positive developments in others' lives through validation and helping them understand themselves and their purpose. Also, our friend Alina joins us and offers some really interesting areas to explore and helps with prompting a couple of good questions. It's not at all my typical conversation, but I had a great time with it. I hope you will too. My name is Suzanne Jockus, and I have been a practicing professional psychic for the last 40 years. And I have written a book. I'm an author. I've written a memoir. Basically, I, you know, I get to do something that is fun and playful and at the same time helpful. You know, the, the reason I do what I do is I, as a kid, um, things went bump in the night. I had all kinds of paranormal experiences I thought were normal. And I had dreams that came true. I um, was pretty drawn to um, the mystical and the metaphysical uh, as a youngster. And when I, uh, oh, I was probably 20, 21, I was reading a book called The Boston Strangler. And back in those days, um, psychics weren't trendy. They were, you know, it was something you kind of hid if you went to a psychic, you kind of hid that. Or if you read any metaphysical books, which there weren't too many back then, people, I'd see people with a, reading a book with a, like a grocery bag cover on it, you know, and then you'd kind of get a peek at it, and it'd be something like um, Edgar Cayce or Gene Dixon, or, you know, you just, it wasn't public, and it was kind of frowned on. So there wasn't a lot of information or available um ways of even approaching studying it. So I was reading this book called The Boston Strangler, it had just come back, come out back then, and um, the Boston police used a Dutch psychic named Peter Herkos. And the way he worked was he would hold the shoes of the murdered women and he'd see pictures. And I knew I could do it. And so I went, oh, I'm going to play with that. And so a friend came over and I said, hey, I, you know, I just read this book and this guy held objects and he could see pictures and let me see if I can do that for you. And so I, that's how it started. And I was like in my early 20s. So what I do is called psychometry. And it's the ability to hold an object that someone else wears or carries and see pictures. And it's um, just that simple. I just see pictures. So it's kind of like I'm watching a dream uh, for you initially. I have my eyes closed. I'm letting these pictures come through. Um, That part takes five or ten minutes. Then I open my eyes, check in. A lot of times people are crying. A lot of times people are like, you just nailed me. (laughs) And I'm not reading them. You know, I'm not cold reading them. I'm not reading their body language. I have my eyes closed. So these pictures just start flowing. And then when I open it... um, to their questions, what happens is when you talk, I see pictures, and I'm in a reading, I see pictures that come in around your words. And I've done that ever since I was a kid. When people would talk, I'd be watching the pictures around them. So I open to that in the reading. So, you know, that's essentially what I do if you were to come for a reading. 
So do people come to you with specific questions? They a lot want of answer? times, especially my repeat clients. A lot of my first timers, <laughs> they don't know what to expect. You know, a lot of them have never had readings. And so they'll just go, oh, I just heard about you and I just wanted to experience it, you know. But then uh, if, you, you know, once you've experienced it, um, people come back with very specific questions. And, and yet again, I always go in with my eyes closed <laughs> to see what I see first. Then I open it to their questions, and over half the time they'll say, "That's what I came for." You just, you know, you just answered the question I came with. So it's pretty interesting. It's pretty cool. What kind of questions do people come to you with? Oh, usually, you know, it's just life. Like, you know, I really hate my job. I'd like a change. Do you see anything different? Um, or um, relationship stuff you know if there's like a tr problems in a marriage I, you know i think as, i think we get into our relationships and we need them to be what we need them to be and we can't see the forest for the trees and i think a psychic can come along and part the trees a little bit and say hey have you have you looked at it this way um this looks like it's going on over here you know and so bringing new light um, new way of looking at something uh is essentially um I think what that's about with relationship. A lot of people are like, will I ever find the one? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so life is life. It's work, it's relationships, it's children, it's death, it's um, travel, you know, that kind of stuff. While someone's talking to me, like I said, I see pictures and I will interject. Um, sometimes I'll ask a question and answer it before they do. There's something about putting the words on the air that bring the pictures in for me. So it's it's important to have dialogue. You know, to just sit there and go, okay, you tell me everything. That doesn't work. You know, I have to have dialogue. But I'm not a fortune teller, and I'm not, uh, you know, a mind reader. You know, I I just I just use these pictures that show up. And so the best word I can have for that is intuition. What is fortune telling? Well, I think a fortune teller is like, in three weeks, you're going to uh, get mad at your boss and quit your job, and then you're going to travel to you know, Paris. And you know, I mean, it's really specific. And tall, dark, handsome stranger, you know. Fortune tellers tend to be more, you know, more looking for names, dates, addresses, you know, those very specific Kinda things. hard answers. Yeah, and I don't do that. Uh, but then, then sometimes I do. You know, if a name floats in, I'll say it. Um, but I think when a person goes to a fortune teller, they expect the fortune to be told, you know. That's not what I do. I, my, what I do is a little bit more holistic than that, you know. It's past, present, future, it all shows up. It's life. And so I see these pictures that really kind of end up being more like clues, certainly validation, but um, clues, things to watch for. So what goes along with seeing in a session, because it sounds kind of like a almost like a therapy session in some yeah. ways. A lot of times, as a matter of fact, I have therapists who send clients to me because I can say what I see. You know, sometimes in therapy we get a little stuck and the therapist can't, because of the model that they use, they can't always name it for you. You have to discover it yourself. And so people will get stuck. Well, I get to name it. I get to say it. And um, then they'll go back to their therapist with more information. <laughs> A breakthrough. Breakthrough. <laughs> yeah. But it is. It's, a lot of times people even tell me that, you know, 
they get more out of a session from me than they do their psychologist. But that's, you know, not my training. It's just my seeing. Something that I picked up on just reading your book is that you have a great deal of empathy and understanding of, of life and people's situations. Yeah. I think that that's a gift in itself. Well, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, well, here, that's my next, another question. So uh, how has that, like, made your life difficult? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're empathic, you're going to pick up on the feelings in the room, so to speak. Sometimes, if you don't have really good boundaries with the world around you, you take that home with you, and you worry about whoever you were picking up on or whatever you were feeling. Or, you know, it's not even your own. You know, we got enough worries of our own. We don't need to be picking up on everybody else. So it was a journey for me with my therapist to um, learn to set really good boundaries and know the difference between something going on in me and something going on in the person maybe sitting next to me. How common is your gift? Would you, would you call it seeing? Yeah, um, actually, like I said, with clients, I tend to validate for them what they already know. And, and so I think it's really common, but we don't trust it. You know, we, we poo-poo it or uh, that's just my imagination or wishful thinking or, you know, something like that. And so if, if one other person can see you, um, that, that validates, you know. And, and freak, I mean, more often than not, people tell me, well, you haven't told me anything I don't already know, but we're strangers. You know, you don't know me. So um, that validation, to me, validation is empowerment. And if people can leave uh, a session with me feeling a little more authentic, a little more valid, uh, a little more empowered. You know, I've had people come back years later and go, you know, you told me I should be singing, and I went and started taking voice lessons, and guess what? I'm, I got gigs. <laughs> I'm singing. You know, stuff like that, where people will act on it because it's something they always wanted to do. So what's the hardest part of your profession? I think, you know, the hardest part is, is seeing for people and then recognizing that in a way they can't move on it yet. You know, they're, they're um, the yeah, but. Yes, but you know, I got this, or I got that going on, or, the, you know, and so there's a sense of being validated, but at the same time, not being able to take action, you know, and that's frustrating. You know, I, get, I see it a lot in people who come to me with really bad marriages, and they're being abused in one form or another. It's like, you need to get out of that. Well, I can't really because, you know, the kids or whatever. You know, it takes a lot of courage to be honest and truthful with ourselves. Like they know what they ought to do, but for some reason they can't make that happen for themselves. Right. You know, again, that's a slippery slope. That's, that's what a therapist is for, is to help people get there. You know, I can see it, but if, a, if someone's not ready, um, then there's a process. And I, and I will frequently say, why don't, you, why don't you get a therapist to help you with this? Because it'll bring up stuff for people. They cry, they feel, you know, sometimes very overwhelmed with sort of the truth of the seeing. 
you know, and through the years, I've learned to, you know, to deliver well. <laughs> I've learned to be more intuitive about my delivery. There's nicer ways to say things than, oh, you need to leave the guy, you know, <laughs> or gal or whatever. It's, it's been a process for me. You're really speaking to something that is kind of at the core of like why I started the podcast in terms of, because I felt like I wanted to like start something or like start my own business or like get like a book written or like just get something done. Like that's like my own creation. I wanted that. And for whatever reason, I was just so like blocked on it. So, and I was like, well, like what, what distinguishes people who actually get this stuff done from people who are just like on my side of things where they just like are, are permanently like, oh, I should do that, mm -hmm. but I'm not ever going to actually do it. Frequently, you know, we're so compelled uh, that we can't not do it, you know, and that's a good thing. But for me, on my uh, personal uh, journey, I wanted to die. I was just, you know, I was so miserable and I didn't know why for sure. And I just didn't want to go on. And, uh, and fortunately, I um, discovered a, a therapist at that time. Instead of just quitting, I you know, started my own um, journey with therapy. You know, she was amazing and validated me. And, it, and even in that, it took me um, a couple of years to really go, okay, I am a psychic and this is what I want to do. And, it, it was still a process. It wasn't something I could just do overnight. Because in my, in my personal life, I'd been told to not tell anybody what I do. You know, don't talk about what you do. Don't, you know, so I was, I was um, diminished. I was, you know, I wasn't validated. As a matter of fact, I was apparently a source of embarrassment. So uh, overcoming a lot of, you know, personal obstacles in terms of who I was, you know, I couldn't be authentic, so I had to pretend to be this other thing, and that was killing me. So I think we do, we can get to a place sometimes where we just hit rock bottom, and we have to rise up out of that in honesty. How did you hit the point where you wanted to become a full-time psychic with your own business? Well, again, it was that process of <laughs> recognizing that I was actually going to get yet another divorce and I needed to take care of myself financially. And um, I, working with a therapist who um, saw me and kept encouraging me to, you know, go be who you are. You can make a living at this. <clears throat> and I didn't believe her. I went to work for a modeling agency for three months. <laughs> working really long hours and not, and making as much money in a day as I would make in an hour doing uh, seeing a client. So after a while, it just didn't make sense anymore. And so I'm like, okay, fine, I'll make cards, I'll be a business, I'll you know give this a try. And as soon as I stepped into that, it's like the doors just open. And that's another thing I've noticed through the years is when we finally say, okay, Doors open where there wouldn't be a door for anybody else. And I can't even begin to tell you how many people said, you're going to do what? Nobody can make a living doing that. And uh, guess what? So um, doors will open when you're being true to yourself. Doors will open where there wouldn't have appeared to be a door at all. It's quite amazing. But um, 
it takes a huge leap of either a huge leap of faith or so much personal pain that you just can't live that way any longer without being true to yourself. What do you think more people could do to get get to that point where they're willing to like take that leap of faith? Well, again, it's you know it's such a personal enigma. <laughs> you know, everyone has their own way of coming to that that place. I, I urge people to journal. I think that's just a wonderful way of getting in touch with the truth of who you are. And um, it becomes a wonderful reflection, a wonderful mirror for you. Over a period of time, I think, um, can create a lot of courage. Are you okay if we like, jump tracks sure. entirely? Please uh, do. <laughs> okay, so something I thought found like, really interesting was your understanding of death. Because you shared it, there were a couple of stories in the book that I thought were really interesting. I think Alina actually shared, like what happens, like as people are dying, kind of how that transpires. Well, I can only again talk from my own experience with my seeing, but what I've been shown is uh, life is well to begin with. We're eternal beings. We're not bodies. We are that which animates the body, and you can call it spirit or whatever you want to call it, but. Let's face it, we all die. <laughs> None of us get out of here with this body. So there's something else. And if you've ever looked at a dead body, um, you know that whoever inhabited that is long gone. It's not them at all. So what is that? It's a mystery. What is that mysterious something that animates the body? And what I've been shown is um, <clears throat> life is a continuum, that we step out of the body, and the next natural step is to that other place. Now, what is that other place? Um, some people call it heaven. Quantum physics is beginning to understand uh, parallel universes, uh, other dimensions. You know, but we get become so um, familiar with the body and the body's needs, and and so there's a reason. There's a reason we have. You know, we're we're created this way to be focused in the, in, in the now and through the body and through the body's experiences. But once we let that go, we move into um, what I believe is our eternal self. And I, and I honestly believe that whatever that world is that we go to is a duplicate. I mean, it looks just like this one. And, and we've been told that. As above, so below. On earth as it is in heaven. What you build here, you build there. What you let go of here, you let go of there. We're told that we're very, very specifically in, in many di different teachings. So um, what I've been shown is, and I've ventured into, I, it's not really mediumship, but again, if someone has someone who's crossed over, if I have their first name and birthday, <laughs> I see pictures from them wherever they are. And so I've been shown over and over that this place that we go to is um, it looks the same. It's just made of other stuff. And it's conflict-free. That's why it's called heaven. We leave the con We actually come here for the conflict. We actually come here for the pain, the suffering, the conflict, you know, to find out who we are. We, we can't find out who we are if everything's bliss. We find out who we are by what we don't like or what we do like or what we do and don't want, or we need, or, you know, so we have to have that dichotomy, we have to have that duality. But when we cross over, we leave it at the door, and we get to take home with us all the things that we've learned about ourselves. And in that sense, we are the prodigal. 
you know, we are the prodigal son. So, but it's, it looks the same, except it's actually more beautiful. So that's what I've learned about death. Now, it could be just my imagination, but um, I kind of tend to believe it. Would you be able to share a story about the transition from like this world to the next? There was one in this book that I liked. Was the uh, I think it was like two women or y- young girls like with the wood stove. Oh, the missing women on Larch Mountain. That was so cool. So and then that just validated for me what I already thought. But um, yes, so these two women were lost on Larch Mountain, and it was a fall. I, it was a fall day. And what happened was an unseasonable snow, and they got they actually got stuck, and couldn't find their way back, and so they were lo- they were missing for three days. I was called in on the search, and I kept seeing them in a line shack. I called it. There's a line shack. They they've taken cover, and I was um, told by the sheriff at the time that there was no there was no line shack all the line shacks had been removed and on the third day they called off the search well my search and rescue people went on up there they they they'd worked with me before they're like you know we're going up and lo and behold the the rescue helicopters from the air guard also decided to ignore the search was off and go back up and so they get up there they find they find the women and um once they were found, they were brought down. And they were in the line shack. They were in the line shack. They were in the line shack. Sorry, I forgot to say that. The, there was the line shack, and there they were. They had a welcome home party a few uh, weeks later. and in, So I was invited to the welcome home party, and when I got there, one gal called, took me aside, and she said, Suzanne, I just have to tell you something very strange that happened. She said, is it possible to have a shared hallucination? And I'm like, well, I don't know. What? Tell, tell me more. And she, she said that last night there, they knew they were going to die. And so they had huddled together. They, they didn't have winter clothes. They were hiking, you know, in just normal gear. So they were freezing. And um, in the middle of the night, the other gal stirred, and um, they woke them both up. And they, in, in the corner of the line shack, the gal that was talking to me saw a pot-bellied stove blazing with heat. And the gal that had stirred uh, stood up and started walking towards it. And she said to her, what do you do? Where are you going? She goes, I'm going to get warm by the stove. So they both saw this pot-bellied stove in the corner of the line shack. She grabbed her and pulled her back. She said, I knew that if she got to the stove, she'd die. It was a portal to the other side. So I really think that the other side comes to meet us and kind of opens up, you know. So there's a a way that the other side superimposes itself on us to, to become if you will, a portal or an opening uh, to go home. I love that story. One thing that I thought was interesting in your book, uh, can you tell us a little bit about poltergeisting? Well, you know, I have a theory because ever so often I'm called to um, a haunted house, you know. And um, the first thing I ask is, how many teenagers live with you? 
Oh, well, we've got three teens. Oh, okay. So typically what happens is it's not haunted at all. I believe that as we enter puberty, things start going bump in the night. That And they ha there has been some research done on that. Uh, the Association for Research and Enlightenment, the ARE, which is Edgar Casey's foundation, has done some research on what they call poltergeisting. And poltergeist is interpreted as playful spirit, but um, what they have discovered is um, when teenagers are sleeping, their energy, this new energy coming, doesn't sleep. It doesn't rest. And so it pounds on walls and it moves things and it turns lights on, you know. And lo and behold, I, that without, almost without fail, there's teenagers in the homes that I'm called to. And I believe, and I, t I think I talk about this in my book, the things that went bump in the night when I was a kid was me poltergeisting. Yeah, because we'd lived in that house for some time and there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, as I became a teenager, these things started happening, you know, freaking my mother out. <laughs> Children seem to have more uh, of a vision of that, you know, that phenomena. My daughter, when she was um, six or seven years old, had um, so how does being psychic uh, impact your relationships with people who, like, like non-clients well again I've had to you know I've done a lot of therapy and um, learned to set really good boundaries so I it actually doesn't affect unless someone says gee what kind of grade do you think I'm gonna get <laughs> What I've found is when people ask a question, I see a response, and I've learned to not respond to the response. But the fact that the question's asked brings a picture, brings a response to me, and I've just learned to not say anything. So on that note, well, okay, this, is, this might be irreverent. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but like, what's problematic about using your gift in situations like like the Kentucky Derby or like the stock market? No, it pisses me off that I don't get to win things. <laughs> you know, I, I, come on, let me have the numbers. I want the numbers for the lottery. I want to know which horse is going to win. I have a client back in Virginia who always asked me about the Derby. And I, always, and I go, you know I can't. Just tell me. And I always pick the loser. Like the dead last loser, or just the not pretty first? much. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he's quit asking. I think um, I think it's I think God knows that I'm probably pretty materialistic, and if I could win the lottery, I'd probably disappear. <laughs> yeah, you'd stop doing the work that <laughs> yeah, you're doing for people. I, I would. I would just go. Okay, I'm out of here, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> See you in Tahiti. Yeah. Do your children or grandchildren have this gift? interesting enough, uh, question. Um, when I was a kid, I um, remembered the future. I thought I remembered it, you know. Remember when this happened. No, that never happened. Then two weeks later it would happen. Like your sister's bed catching on yeah, fire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, my granddaughter, um, uh, there was a moment when I was helping her, picking her up from school every day and it was Halloween, and she was uh, dragging this big 
grocery bag. And she says, can you help me carry this? And I'm like, okay. And I look, and it's a big carved pumpkin. And I go, well, did you do this? And she goes, no, I want it. I go, you want it? And I go, for your class? No, the whole school had to, you know, how many seeds, you know, and 425. How much did it weigh? 12 and a half pounds, you know. And I go, oh, you, you were close. And she goes, Grandma, it was ex- that. And I go, well, how did you know that? And she goes, I have a really good memory. And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> I, I would have to say, I think, again, I think we all do. It's just how does it manifest? You know, and in her case, it's her, her memory. So, and I haven't pushed it. I haven't, you know, um, asked if she remembers the future or anything because the again this is very personal stuff it, it has to be you know sort of uh, it has to evolve within each person in its own way can you talk a little bit about ways that like our conscious mind can mislead our intuition well yeah it's um you know we'll we'll edit it with things like oh that doesn't make sense or that's just my imagination or you must have heard that somewhere or you know we it's just amazing how we'll discount ourselves. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll have a, well, of course it's, it's me talking, but I'll have a moment where I go, I think, did I dream this? Or did it really happen? You know, I, I can't tell, I sometimes can't tell the difference. This is just kind of a, like, out of the blue question. And again, I don't mean this to be like irreverent. Are you better able to tell when someone is lying to you? If only. <laughs> oh, it would have saved me so many marriages. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to talk about that too? Well, I don't care. In your speech, you um, have like a good line. Well, you know, if you're so psychic, why do you keep doing that? <laughs> I don't know. I have blind spots. You know, we all do. We all have blind spots. Also, our friend Alina joins us and offers some really interesting areas to explore and helps with prodding a couple of good questions. I have two things you should discuss. Um, you should discuss about charging for what you do and why it's important, both in, in people don't value it if you don't, and also you'd be working safely, because I think it's one of the misconceptions about psychism. And the second thing along those lines is I think you should uh, talk about, well, how do I find a good psychic? How do I know? Well, uh, yeah, I did work at Safeway, and um, I was still sort of learning about this stuff that I do and played you know it was a hobby I wasn't really doing readings but I was but it was just a hobby I wasn't charging or anything and um, one day a guy came through the check stand and and you know when you work and it was a very busy Safeway and when you work um, every day you get to know your customers and you 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 get to see that um, your regulars usually buy two or three bass carts. <laughs> People that are just in and out or just grabbing little stuff. This guy came through with this huge bass cart full of stuff, and um, he was wearing a baseball hat. And I, you know, always tried to make conversation. And as we got done, and he was paying his bill, he said, "What are you doing checking groceries? You're supposed to be doing readings." <laughs> just really got my attention. And it still took me several years. But it wasn't until, of course, I got a divorce that I had to take care of myself financially and really struggled with doing it for money. I never wanted to actually charge. But what I found out was people don't value you if you don't put a value to yourself. And so I 
very carefully began to charge and pay my bills. It was quite amazing <laughs> how that worked. But um, there's, this, uh, there's this level of both self-respect and respect for the work that if you don't charge, I don't know, people kind of don't take it seriously, nor do they take themselves or their needs seriously. Something I've heard is like the number one advice that entrepreneurs or like anyone doing their own business mm -hmm. should get is that you should double your prices. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what they are, you're like uh -huh. charging half of what you ought to yeah. be. Uh, and what happens usually is that they get not, not only like the better clientele, yeah, not only better margins and yeah, clientele and everything, mm -hmm. but they get more of everything because yeah. they um, they must be the best. They charge the most. Yeah, it's like expensive <laughs> wine; it tastes better, uh -huh. kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I remember when I used to sell. Um, I used to work in a cosmetics counter in one of the major department stores, and at Christmas the guys would come in. They won the most expensive perfume. I'm like, okay, but. This one's better and it's really popular right now. But I want the most expensive. You know? yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> there is something to that. It's just like, I don't know. I think it's people are attracted to confidence and it's an expression of confidence. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I should start charging. You should. <laughs> well, maybe you will. <laughs> I ought to. Maybe I'll wait seven years and then, <laughs> then do it. Yeah. What was the other thing that... Well, for me, you know, if you're looking for a good psychic, um, find one that's been around a while. Oh, my God. They're, they're fly-by-night, you know. You're here, they're gone, you know. Find someone that's been around a while. And, um, and then, you know, uh, start asking for referrals. Uh, you know, ask people that you know that see psychics who they see, you know. But I, I think the, the big thing is um, really... Um, Frankly, in this field, it's stability. I've seen so many psychics come and go through the years. And I'm one of the few that just kind of has been, been around. Probably a good indicator of like the real, like the lasting value that you can mm -hmm. provide regularly. Because you can do, a, I, don't, I guess like marketing alone, you can produce like a flash in the pan. Mm -hmm. And that happens, a new psychic in town. Everybody's going. You know, and then six months later, you can't find them anywhere. Yeah, if it makes sense and feels oh, valid. Yeah, there's those. There are those. Well, you know, for another $150, I can make that um, boss that you hate go away or whatever. You know, I mean, they, they promise. Uh, uh, oh, your husband drinks too much. Well, if you know, if you give me two pieces of gold, <laughs> and this is the God's truth. I've had clients tell me these stories. And, uh, and a bottle of the best scotch you got, I, I can make him quit drinking. A good uh, gig. Psychic, not a sorcerer. You yeah, right. So, but they do, they do that. Yeah. They pull that crap. And you know, and something else that you do that's actually unique mm -hmm. is you, you, cut, you cut them off. How long does a typical relationship with the client last? Well, I've had people, I, just this week, saw me 20 years ago, they just come back. You know, I'd say, Probably half my clients come once a year. They like to come on their birthdays or first of the year when the year changes or, you know, special occasion. Um, they'll probably come once a year. That's fine. Maybe even every six months, but more than that. And there's a dependency. Well, I hope this Yeah, helped. I thought it was really interesting. I forget if it was Celtic or Gaelic, that you're, like the Irish oh, um, Celtic. Celtic. 
Would you mind talking about that? I was curious about that because you touched on it in the book. Ira? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy yeah. who uh, was really involved, like the Native American. Yeah. Can you, would you mind just talking about that a little bit in terms of the connection to uh, like mystics? Well, Ira was pretty uh, prejudiced you know, about his Celtic roots, but having been born a Murphy myself, you know, it, it really triggered a response in me about lineage and heritage and um, how different cultures, you know, ancient cultures y- utilized um, the seer or the shaman or the scryer or the, you know... Um, and so for, with the Celtic people, um, of course, they're, they're kind of known for their druidic and their mysticism and, and all of that. And Ira, of course, believed <laughs> that the Celtic people held the heart of the world, you know, that, that, that they were the ones, you know, and so it's like, whatever. But it did um, make me take a look at sort of where my heritage comes from and um, recognizing that my, you know, great-grandmother uh, on really on both sides had some mystical abilities. You know, it, it, it's, it's fun to explore, you know, where, where your people come from. Our, our cultures have certainly become um, diversified. But I do think there are certain lineages that get passed on or certain things that get passed on through a line. My father was born a blue baby with a call. And uh, he, so he was born dead. And um, they put him in hot and cold water to revive him. And in Ireland, in the old days, that was, he was supposed to have the sight that when, when a baby was born um, under the veil, they were supposed to have the sight. Can you tell me a little bit about Ira and the Sweat Lodge? Having, you know, kind of broached the subject with Ira about heritage and my Celtic past and all of that, he had suggested that I sweat. And I'm like, I don't sweat. <laughs> he goes, well, you need to, you know. And I thought he meant go running with him, which is actually what I did do, start running, which was fabulous. Um, but after I got to know him, he started talking about that old man. That old man says, you need to... Sw-. I'm like, what old man? What are you talking about? And eventually, I got to know that he knew um, Lakota Medicine Man and that they did sweat lodge. So he su- suggested, strongly urged me to come to a, uh, do a sweat. I was terrified. <laughs> I'm like, what if I get too hot? You know, and he goes, you pray. And I go, but what if I get really, really hot? And he goes, you pray harder. <laughs> I go, what if I pass out? And he goes, you hug your mother. You know, and I, I'm like, hug your mother. And um, so anyway, I did my first sweat, and it was remarkable. It was so amazing. They do four rounds of either seven or nine stones. And so the stones are heated in the fire outside and then they're brought in between each round and then as as the the doors closed the water's poured and you know the steam starts pouring. it's so cool and you do you get so hot that you lay down and you hug your mother and then i knew what he meant the the cool earth i'm so grateful for that experience you know it's it's just one of those things that you can't really put into words but 
it solidified something in me, for me. And uh, I sweat for nine months. Um, when the medicine man died, then the lodge came down, and that was the end of it. And I've had no desire to do it since. You know, it was like there was a window of time there for me, and and it was really quite quite amazing. But it was so, also, it was just so pr- primal. You know, it was so primal, and it was so really returning, you know, returning uh, me to th- the basics, which is air, <laughs> couldn't breathe after a while, fire, water, um, earth, you know, it was, it was very humbling, very humbling experience. Um, and yeah, so then we're kind of hitting like the tail end of it, but uh, are, are there any resources you'd share for people looking to learn more about what you do? Could be books, could be your website, could be... A shameless plug is like not out of place here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could read my memoir, You Know Your Way Home. You can certainly go to my website, SuzanneJockus.com. Um, I always put a plug in for New Renaissance Bookstore down on Northwest 23rd in Lovejoy. They have everything you could possibly imagine to um, uh, educate yourself about intuition and doing all kinds of different readings and stuff. Um, when I was growing up, there were no bookstores like that. They, they, they didn't exist. And um, so it's been re- really, really cool to see some of the metaphysical uh, bookstores pop up in the last 40 years. Um, there's so much available now, and there wasn't, there wasn't anything available back then. So um, I just say just read. And read about other psychics. Read, 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 read about their journeys and why they do what they do. I think the why of it is is where the education is. You know the one, my favorite book, and it's I think it's out of print, and maybe, is it Elena? It is. Um, it's called um, Natural ESP by Ingo Swan. And uh, I love that book. He, he's, uh, as a matter of fact, when I start feeling a little rusty, I, I pull that book off the bookshelf and just glance at it again. Yeah, Dr. Raymond Moody has um, has done some interesting exploration in the realm of um, what happens after death, and he's written a book called Reunions. His first book, uh, Life After Life, was working with people who had had near-death experiences, and of course, near-death means they didn't die, but um, he would interview them, and then uh, that set him sort of on a journey of his own and um he's this book reunions is really great about talking to dead people and how you can actually do that yourself but let it be an intuitive process you know i think we have everything i want to talk about thank you for your time yeah you're welcome thanks for thanks for being interested i think it'd be weird not to be interested it's very interesting You can find Suzanne and her book at SuzanneJockus.com, YouKnowYourWayHome.com, and on Facebook under Psychic Suzanne Jockus and You Know Your Way Home, just for her book. There are links to these places in the show notes. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion, the band that makes me wonder stuff like, what if dinosaurs had hands? You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, and cepdx.bandcamp.com. If you like the show, I encourage you to do one of two things. One, either pick your favorite episode and share it with a friend, just one friend will do. Or two, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others discover Why Try. If you really like the podcast, you can get more engaged at Why Try the Podcast on Facebook. Thanks for listening.